Research for what? Hi everyone, my name is Ron Bouvray and I am the Business Strategy Manager at the MBL Australian Nerd in Single Molecule Science at UNSW Sydney. I am also uh, the creator and host of a podcast series called Research for What? that I use to discuss research, its purpose and impact. Today, I'm really, really happy to welcome everyone to this virtual panel discussion called Do You Need a Mentor? Um, it is supported by Single Molecule Science and the ARC Center of Excellence in Advanced Molecular Imaging. Before we start the event, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we all work and live today and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people participating in this webinar. I pay my respects to elders, both past and present. I also would like to thank um, someone else, Su Min Liu, who is our communications officer at SMS, who's helped me put this um, event together. Today, I'm very excited because we have three fantastic speakers. Uh, the three speakers are not just speakers, they're experts, they're scientists, and they're also doctors. Uh, wink, wink to uh, Dr. Bill Biden. The first our first guest is Dr. Vashnavi Anantha Narayanan. Uh, Vashnavi recently moved to Sydney to begin her work as an EMBL Australia group leader with us at, at SMS. Before that, Vashnavi was an assistant professor uh, at the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore. And I don't know if you looked for what she does or what she writes, but she's passionate about mentorship, first as a mentee and now as a mentor. Our second guest is Dr. Margaret Evans-Gallia. Margaret is the Executive Director of IMNIS, which is the Industry Mentoring Network in STEM at the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering. IMNIS connects PhD students in STEM and outstanding industry leaders. Margaret is also the co-founder and CEO of Women in STEM Australia. And our third speaker is Melina Georgiosakis. Melina founded Franklin Women, an Australian women's organization for women working in health and medical related careers. And beside that role at Franklin Women, Melina is also the policy and research manager for the Bupa Health Foundation. So today, my goal is to have a sort of conversation and talk about mentorship and give the participants tips I didn't get when I was an earlier or mid-career researcher. Uh, maybe to get started, Melina, I want to ask you, there's lots of words, different ways to describe people around us. Uh, we talk about supervisors, you know, friends, coach. Um, what is a mentor? And uh, is there any overlap between all of these people? Uh, yes, I think um, tricky question uh, right off the bat because I think people identify with the word mentor differently and I know I did probably before I knew what the official term of a mentor was. Um, and so uh, with Franklin Women and myself personally in my career, I was often had these conversations about finding a mentor. Um, but then recently I've sort of distilled the difference between a few different types of professional development relationships. So obviously supervisor is one and they're usually very technically attuned to um, your work and what you're doing and I guess have quite a large conflict of interest in that relationship given the role. 
Um, but there's also these talks of mentors and as well as sponsors and another professional relationship that probably overlaps a bit more with that is also career coaching. And I'm sure that's going to come up in the conversation um, uh, with the other two panellists, so I won't go into all of them, but a mentor that is a little bit different to that is um, somebody who you can talk to about professional but also personal issues who can really hold up uh, a bit of reflection to you to support you to um, to come to answers to some of the challenges that you are finishing, uh, that you are facing yourself. So they're not there to answer the questions for you, but they are there to help you and guide you to come up with um, sort of decisions and answers yourself. And that can be through sharing their own experiences, um, pointing you to resources, but quite often it just means that they're very good at listening and reflecting. Um, and I'd be keen to hear if that's what the other two um, feel as well. Maybe, Vashnavi, I'll ask you then, um, have you ever had a great mentor and why would you call that person or these people great mentors? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I've really benefited from having several mentors um, during the course of my career. Um, I think initially when I started off as a PhD student, uh, my PhD advisor served as my mentor as well. Um, like Melina rightly pointed out, these are instances, there are instances where that relationship between a PhD advisor and a mentor could get into an area of uh, conflict of interest. But I think um, there are several people who could actually additionally take on a responsibility of a mentor in addition to being your supervisor, in this instance, a research supervisor. Um, and I think I benefited quite a bit from these kinds of interactions I had with my PhD supervisor. I also had a couple of others who uh, were not my PhD supervisor, but um, indeed were new of my research, let's say. But they were not my immediate supervisors, and I would turn to them when it came, especially to uh, matters of my research career. I think for professional mentorship, I turn to these people. But for personal uh, mentorship in terms of understanding how I should deal with situations in my personal life, I think I had a, a few peers who served as my mentors, people who at, my, at similar career stages as mine, uh, who would likely had the same kind of experiences. Uh, with, from which I could draw uh, examples like Marina pointed out. So I think I've been very fortunate uh, to have mentors uh, during the course of my PhD, but also thereafter. Um, I think I also had a lot of um, support from people at the Indian Institute of Science, um, especially uh, one specific person I can name uh, is Sandhya Vishweshwarya. Uh, she, in fact, uh, really stood up to me and, uh, gave me all of the support that I required during the time that I was starting my own group, which is, as you can imagine, not an uh, easy uh, thing to do. And likewise, my PhD advisor continued to be my mentor, uh, Eva Tolich. She continued to be my mentor after I graduated from my PhD, of course, and was a huge source of support during the time of my uh, starting of my lab at the Indian Institute of Science. So this has been something that has been a constant through my career. And I do think I'll continue to seek out mentors because Science is not an easy job. And for you to even get advice on which grants to apply to, uh, what do you do about your paper? All of these things are questions that you don't need to bear on your own. You can share the burden and get uh, advice and experience off of people who've already uh, seen situations like these in the past, right? So I think I have had a lot of help along the way and it has only furthered my career. Margaret, 
do we need do we all need a mentor you know do and what what do we seem to need a mentor so much I think we probably all have mentors and we just don't necessarily identify them as mentors yet. Uh, I know that was certainly the case for me. You can have a peer mentor, you can have a traditional mentor who's a wise, sage person in your life. You can also have um, a reverse mentor. So my daughter is my reverse mentor and she challenges my thinking and takes me in new directions. So I think um, there are many mentors in our lives already. I think there is a, a truth to the conflict of interest with a supervisor or, or even a chair of department with respect to, you know, if you're doing a great work in, in where you are, they may want to keep you there rather than have you go and do something else for your future career. Having said that, um, after 10 years in the US, it is tradition in the US to use the term mentor and supervisor interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So there's an expectation in the US system that your supervisor is to mentor you and to help your professional development. That's not the case in every relationship, unfortunately, but I think, I think it's a, it's not an unfair expectation that your supervisor should be helping you propel forward in your career. Uh, but again, I do appreciate the conflict of interest that Mally's raised um, on that particular point. And so I do think it's essential that we all have mentors. It's a critical element of your support network. I think it's important for your development as a leader. And mentoring is the door to sponsorship. And sponsorship can be a game changer for the future of many, many people, but particularly those underrepresented in leadership. And therefore, you know, how else do you open that door ajar if you don't have and access to a group of mentors, ideally a team of mentors, as I've mentioned. And I think um, there's that expectation and the definition of mentor, which I think Melina defined really well. It is that person who will reflect and challenge your thinking, but they don't invest a lot of time necessarily in advocating on your behalf and putting you out there publicly necessarily. That is much more the, the role of a sponsor. And there is a reputational risk to the individual who does that for people. Um, and that's why sponsorship can carry a reputational risk for the individual involved. That's usually why professionals won't sponsor someone until they know their strengths, mm-hmm. their weaknesses, their dreams, their goals, their aspirations, what they want to do with their future and that takes long conversations you know that can take time and so through IMNIS the industry mentoring network in STEM with the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering that's something that we allow to to happen if it's going to they get a whole year of structured support under them to develop a very strong relationship over the course of 12 months and they get to connect every single year Um, every single month for a coffee, and then they have maintained those relationships for up to five years later for the majority of the cohort, so 70% continue to connect even five years later. These are enduring long-term connections that allow a mentoring relationship to potentially evolve into something else, either sponsorship, a collaboration, you know, an innovation ideas kind of interaction, something like that for the future. And they're there for you for the rest of your career, no matter where you go in terms of your your career, in terms whether you stay in research, go into academia, go into government, because they are the person who's helped you understand the entire ecosystem. So, yes, I do think we should all have mentors because you never know where that relationship will take you. 
I'm very keen to talk about how we establish that relationship between a mentor and mentee. Right? And if you uh, start a PhD, for example, then you, you, know, you almost have a contract. You're going to be working for a supervisor for a number of years and, and you've got expectations. But with, is it the same with mentorship? Can you discuss your expectations? Can you say, you and I are going to speak you know, once a month for five years and then this is what I expect from you. Is that how it happens? Melina, do you want to take that? Melina, you go. I know you started, Maggie, and then I'll go go next. It's all good. So um, I think for it depends on what it is and it depends on the person and it depends on what they aim to achieve, right, so how how structured you can approach something. Some folks prefer the organic interactions where they kind of bump into people and they'll they'll have a, a coffee and then they'll have another one two months later and it's a little less structured. But others can really benefit and propel their their time forward by taking a much more, it's almost like project managing your professional development, right? So in IMNIS, we actually encourage people to take that 12 months as the golden opportunity it is. You know, you have access to this influential industry leader for a year, one-on-one, and your university has given you that opportunity to make the most of it. So plan it out over the course of the year. So we ask them to consider reviewing their CV at the start of the um, year with their mentor to identify the gaps. And then we ask them to, you know, think about how can you fill those gaps together over the course of that 12 months. And it doesn't mean there's an expectation of, of success at the end. It's about progress. And it's about the journey itself and making some of that progress. And so it's very much a case of we put people together and we match them up um, based on information and then we allow that relationship to evolve. So that's one way. But the organic approach is where you literally bump into someone, you have like-minded thinking, you make a connection and you say, actually, could I follow up with a coffee? And you do have those more structured conversations over time if it evolves. It's usually a case of um, some of the best mentors I've found I wasn't looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of bump in and, and it evolves over time. But then I've also had a very positive experience where it was a structured program and there were key questions. So I think we should be offering a suite of opportunities mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. to identify those mentors. But you also have to be volunteering. You have to be saying yes to opportunities. You have to be putting yourself out there in order to just connect mm-hmm. with people in the first place. Mm-hmm. Menina, is that was that your observation as well? Um, yeah. I quite often when Maggie and I are on a panel together, we're just like matching with what we say. So, but, <laughs> we channel um, each other. But what's a bit different, I guess, is my personal experience. Maybe I can bring that to the conversation. So, um, following on from, I guess, what Bashanavi was saying at the beginning, and and I think you know, when you're thinking about these types of relations, to understand them, it's nice to have definitions. Mm-hmm. But they always are going to like one person can wear multiple hats for mm-hmm. you at one time, and and um, a, another person might change in who they are to you over time, and and some might only ever be one. You wouldn't look to them to wear other hats. And so, you know, my PhD supervisor similarly was my. Um, uh, I'm not going to say mentor because that co- that conflict of interest for where I needed to go and, and what they wanted to me was really high. From a supervisory point of view, yes, he did mentor me on my science, um, but he was my biggest sponsor. And the opportunities that I have, and particularly as an early career researcher and um, a lot of the 
other stuff outside of my research, I I have uh, solely to thank to him to opening doors and having conversations about me when I was not in the room. And he was my supervisor as well. Um, but he always didn't wear both hats. Um, around, you know, when I talk about getting a mentor, it's funny because it just comes off like it's so easy. Like, come <laughs> on, really easy. And, you know, it's funny because I, 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 when I have them, I do think it's really easy. And I'm at a stage of my career now where um, what I what I need mentorship is very different from what I needed mentorship maybe a year and a half ago. And a lot of the guidance that I need is around my side hustle, which is Franklin Women. You know, I'm, I'm a scientist. Um, I've never run a social enterprise. And it's so I'm trying to find someone who's got these experience and where I have a gap at the moment. And, you know, it is challenging because I'm trying to think about who is going to be a good fit? You know, they've got to have the experience that I need. Um, they've got to be a fit. They're, it's a relationship. So not everyone is going to be a wonderful fit for you to sit down and have a chat with. Um, you also need to be able to connect with them. And so um, it is hard. And over my career, I've had different mentors have, like what Maggie said, had different um, ways of connecting with me. So, um, and I think that's this thing when everyone talks about collecting mentors um you know I would have someone who knew my inner my inner workplace and that I could talk to over the water cooler I had someone who was outside of my bubble um who we'd meet for coffee regularly and we never really had this conversation of will you be my mentor like you know it makes it a little bit awkward almost and you feel like there's this pressure on this person that rather than for coffee then all of a sudden they're just going to be like "Eh, that's a little bit too much commitment I'm out Um, and I think that's okay if if, if you're getting that from a person, you don't need to label it. Um, but quite often I've met someone after at that relationship had changed when I left a workplace and I said, you were really a mentor to me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sometimes after the fact when um, you realised it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there is value to complement those more ad hoc and maybe more casual mentoring relationships to see if you can find an opportunity or someone where you have the confidence, whether it's through a structured program or you're reaching someone that's maybe a bit more professional outside of your bubble, bubble, where you want to say, could you mentor me and make it very clear from the get-go of what you are seeking from this relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it means a little bit of soul-searching about well, why am I reaching out to this person, but it also gives them some terms of engagement Um And it also means that they might not feel so overwhelmed about what your expectation is. And I had someone um, mentor me a few years ago and we did take quite a formal role. uh, And we said, you know, we'll meet once once a month. It will be for an hour and a half over coffee. Um, I will drive the agenda. Um, But then if there's anything that I need, the door is always open to to give them a call. And And it worked really well. It was still casual and informal, but everyone knew what the expectations were. And because of that, I think it was, you know, we stayed to get stayed together <laughs> for two years or so. And it wasn't in any structured program or anything, but um, it gradually came to an organic end. And now we are, I would say, good friends. Um, and so that's been my experience. Um, and I'm on the lookout. So if you know anyone, <laughs> put my name forward. So I, I agree. It's not easy to um, accept that, you know, you need a mentor and to find a mentor. And that's why I was excited to have that event, right? Uh, I don't think it's easy. And I realized now for, uh, there were many times in my career when I didn't have a mentor and many times when I, when I did, and I can see the difference now. 
Vaishnavi, is that your experience as well? Maybe both as a mentee, did you, you look proactively for a mentor? And maybe now on the other side, yeah. you becoming a mentor for other people. How yeah. did they find you? So um, I think um, at several institutes across the world now, there is a formal program for uh, early stage careers, uh, people with at early stage careers to actually have a mentorship committee. For instance, at the Indian Institute of Science, assistant professors that are in, within the first year of having joined actually have to identify their mentorship committee. Uh, so essentially, these are people who not necessarily have the same research interests, but um, could advise on matters of whether you're going to be on track for your tenure at the end of five years, what you need to do to make sure that you are actually on track and so on. Right? And so uh, this committee met uh, every year to review your progress, to understand what your issues uh, were and what you'd like their help with um, in terms of um, alleviating some of these issues or maybe opening doors for you for grants and so on. Um, this was a very formal program in which you had to invite these people that would come and make sure that you uh, gave a presentation, spoke about your progress in the past year and so on. And this is super structured, of course. Um, and of course, at, at some point, I do think that there is still a conflict of interest in this kind of an interaction because they do want to make sure that you succeed. And so they're going to not necessarily uh, give you the advice that may be the best for you uh, as a whole, but rather as best for the Institute as well as you combined, right? And so that might be different in some instances. And so there is a conflict of interest situation that might be possible in this instance as well. And having said that, I did find them to be useful to understand what was required of uh, an assistant professor to get ahead uh, at that institute. So that was, of course, useful for a, in a professional stance. But I think like Melina and Margaret have already pointed out, uh, several of the interactions that I found uh, quite useful in terms of not just professional, but also personal um, issues uh, while being an assistant professor were, came from ad hoc interactions that were not necessarily planned. So the way I met Sandhya, uh, whom I identify as a mentor, is quite, uh, it was by chance, right? And it didn't really, it wasn't really something that we agreed upon. Uh, it was... Um, it seemed like I went to her, I was drawn to her naturally in, uh, when I had uh, issues that I needed some help with, um, when I needed to figure out how I would go about hiring a student, what would be the best place to look for students, stuff like that, right? So this happened quite organically and naturally. And like I think Melina and Margaret have, all, uh, Margaret have also uh, pointed out, this isn't as it is, there is a huge deal of luck that went into my finding these and identifying these mentors as well. Um, and that perhaps could be alleviated if you had um, a database of people who signed up to be mentors. Uh, they say, this is what I can help you with. And I'm interested in mentoring you. And you have a database of perhaps people who'd like to be mentored on specific things. And if you could have a matchmaking service, I think that might be something that could work well for people who are having trouble identifying mentors. Uh, but this is something that perhaps could be worked out. Uh, maybe Franklin women or, <laughs> or yeah, women in STEM could help. 
Yeah. Yeah. So Imnus does do that. That's exactly what we do. And we have 350 mentor mentee pairs matched in Australia. And we run across the the five main states, I guess. Um, And that's not to make the the three others less important. It's uh, that it's Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, and UNSW is involved. And certainly you have 27 PhD students and postdocs participating this year who are now matched with industry leaders for the one year. And I think it's a really, really valuable um, matchmaking service, if you like, simply because we do ask a few key questions that then, you know, being a, I said this in an event just before I came online, being a connector is a position of privilege. And it really allows you to take what this person needs over here and what this person can offer over here and to put them together. And so through IMNIS right now, I've had a bird's eye view of the research sector across Australia. And then I've had this bird's eye view of industry across Australia. And I get to put them together. And I can tell you that is some of the best fun you can have. I tell you, because you get to put these amazing people together and they always come back and they say, and and this is the case in over 90% of cases, they say, that was brilliant. You know, you couldn't have matched me better. And when I hear that, that says I'm doing my job right. And so then you have 95 or 97, I forget what the statistic is these days, but it's up in the 90s saying that it was positive and successful and I'm going to recommend this to other people. Mm then you know you're getting something right. Mm -hmm. And we drill down into hobbies because you get insights into personalities. You drill down into, you know, what are your dreams, your goals, your aspirations? But it it is really important, as Melina said, around expectations. We tell the mentors this person is in the early stage of their career. These are the types of topics they're likely to ask you. Are you comfortable to mentor in this space? And, And they all are. And if it where it goes to a different level for some reason, then we approach that with the mentor and the mentee and say, are you comfortable with this? And we have that conversation ahead of time. And so I think it's really important that those expectations do be managed over time, particularly if you just start, you know, senior level people with senior level people from different sectors, for example, you want to make sure they can have good conversations. And so I, I totally agree. And I think I think there is a place for all of it. I think there's a place for organic. I think there's a place, you know, um, one of the best mentors I met was literally because my research career looked like it was ending back in 2011 and I was frustrated and I went to the Australian Academy of Science and I said, would you start a committee around early and mid-career researchers? And that's exactly how the Early and Mid-Career Researcher Forum evolved. And the Secretary for Science Policy, Bob Williamson, at that time became my mentor and he still mentors me to this day. We have a regular coffee every couple of months. And it's just a delight, you know. Um, and as Melina said, it's evolved over time. So he offered me much more direct mentorship then, whereas now it's much higher level. Mm-hmm. And then I have another mentor who's a Nobel laureate and I go to them once a year and I say, I need the hard word. Just once a year, that's all I need. And I need the hard word. So you, you set those expectations nice and clearly um, and it really can make the most of those relationships then, I think. Actually, that's great. And let's take this one step further. So what should we be, how should we choose or select a mentor? Um, For example, if I were a PhD student in engineering and you talked about hobbies, Margaret, and I like tennis, um, should I look for 
someone who likes tennis will understand engineering or understands you know what it what it is to be a phd student or or do we just click or do we just like the same coffee type you know um how do we well, ide- ideally you're going to self-reflect and and understand have an understanding of what you want but i can tell you now most people don't know what they want they just want a mentor Mm. They, they actually just want that person. I don't know, Vaishnavi, how would you how would you answer this question for your students? Yeah, in the beginning, I just, as a mentee, I just needed somebody to talk to who could empathize with what I was going through yeah. and could give me some pieces of advice that I could perhaps implement. Uh, but it, eventually it turned out to be a, a very nice mentor-mentee relationship. But in the beginning, I just wanted to go speak to somebody about the issues I was having to see if they had any idea how I could solve them um and so essentially that was it yeah melina i think the work that you do at ranking women is um focuses on helping women in research and in particular in medical research um this is a kind of you know elephant in the room here um and this recent publications very controversial publications suggest you know uh, a certain number of things regarding women um and suggesting that women should not seek a certain type of mentors and in particular shouldn't seek uh, female mentors. Why do women need mentors more than men? Um, and and what, are, what would be the reasons for that? Yeah, so the paper, I think, which you're referring to, um, they got a lot of um, dis- very came, uh, the research community came to it very quickly to discredit this mm. piece of research. So what they were suggesting was that uh, women are, are poor mentors for other women. Mm. Um, and I guess it just sort of leads to this bigger piece around of evaluation. Um, and I think it's around specific, you know, um, uh, gender equity initiatives. So this piece of research was very specific around what they, um, how they defined mentoring, mm. really it misrepresented the concept of a mentoring relationship. Um, and I, I don't know, I haven't followed after the furore. I don't know if you know, Maggie, has it been pulled from the publication? But um, It hasn't yet. So it has been um, reviewed. And I, I, I want to point out that it's probably likely from, from my reading of the article, because this is a US-based university, even though it's overseas, is that mentor was probably referring to supervisor mm-hmm. rather than the, what we would consider mm-hmm. a traditional definition of mentor. Um, I still disagree with the outcomes and I'm not a data scientist, so I won't speak to the methodology. However, I think it's fair to say that it was um, two two of the three authors were women and the lead author was a woman of colour very early in her career. So I was very conscious that her her health, her mental health be cared for on social media because I know there was a brutal backlash via social media Mm -hmm. and a lot of it was targeted at the paper but I think we need to remember that people make research and innovation happen and that there are people behind these papers. And so um, I certainly didn't make a lot of public commentary on it simply because I think there are young researchers involved who who need to be supported through that. And they feel very strongly about the methodologies that they used for their data science um, study. And I think she, she's an early assistant yeah. um, at that point. A lot of the conversation, which rightly should have got moved away from them as individuals and it, it got yeah. talked system of the 
the publication method and, and the terms that we use for things that don't translate to others. And um, the metrics that we use and the bias we don't include and things like that. Exactly. So that aside from um, uh, the question at, at hand, um, so uh, women um, but also a number of, um, I guess, uh, groups within, who participate in science and in my sector that I work within, it's health and medical research, they um, experience unique challenges um, to the wider sector. So I guess you're talking about um, sis- cultural and systemic barriers that can get in the way of people fully participating or succeeding and having the same opportunities as other in the, others in the sector. So within science, um, it's typically men um, and white men who the system favours, and that's for a whole number of reasons. Um, and we could have multiple pod- multiple webinars just on that. So I guess when we started our mentoring program, we were very clear on the problem that we were hoping to solve. We are a volunteer organisation and there's a lot of ways that we can support um, underrepresented groups in science where we felt we could add the most value based on our own personal experiences in the sector is um, looking at the graphs in the health and medical research sector which show that women um, outnumber men at entry mm-hmm. of these science, this discipline within science. But when you get to the BC mid-career level, you see this very sharp attrition of um, fe- uh, women working in the health and medical research sector. So we tried to target our mentoring program specifically at that point to, or just before it actually to, to see if we can support the retention of uh, women working in our sector. So we were very specific in what our mentoring program was trying to solve, both so that we can draw terms, uh, um, what, how do you say that, draw, uh, make sure that it, it, that terms around it so we didn't get too big and that we could really target our resources and also so it was very clear to those who are participating. This is who they, who this group are, mm-hmm. um, and when we were seeking mentors, we were very clear on on the aims of the program. And like a number of these sorts of initiatives now, we've really tried to evaluate them to try and find out are they effective um, at actually having a benefit to this group who are otherwise at risk of um, of of not being able to contribute and and pretty much leaving our sector, which is really don't what we want. We want There's a massive brain drain, and it's also not a sector that we think um, is going to have the best outcomes because it's not a sector that is diverse with ideas and just inclusive in nature. We want everyone to feel like that they're welcome and able to participate as much as the person next to them. Um, so why... I don't really feel like it should be an elephant in the room to talk about why we might have mentoring programs to specific groups. I think it should be a very frank and upfront discussion about why. And some people might not feel comfortable and and could feel in some instances that why they're getting this opportunity. Um, And that's one frame of mind. But when you've always had privilege or you've always had opportunity, it's really hard to see that someone else might be getting something that you can't have too. Um, and so it, it, it should be something that we talk about and we should be very proud that we, are, uh, whether it's Franklin Women, IMNIS, uh, a school who's decided to introduce an initiative to specifically create a sector where others can be lifted up um, and where everybody could be valued and work together. Um, I think that's something that I would want in an organisation or a sector that I'm working within. So I think they're much needed and until the stats are different, we won't be changing our program anytime soon. Just to play the 
devil's advocate here. As, as you rightly said, these are systemic issues. Is it fair for someone to, to ask or say, hey, are you kidding me here? Is a mentor, someone that I'm going to meet once a month for a year, really going to help me navigate these you know, systemic obstacles that are massive? Did you want me to continue? Because I guess there's two points and they probably lead to one of Maggie's and also um, Bashanavi as well, what you alluded to. So I guess it's, again, the purpose of it. So um, in some instances, you might choose a mentor. Um, so, for example, if you are feeling like you're facing barriers that are specific to an attribute or who you are, so you might be a, a person of colour, you might have a disability, in my instances um, being a woman, then maybe because you're aware of these specific barriers that you face, you might seek out someone who is like you um, because you identify with them and you feel like that they can relate and and sort of um, encourage or support you or challenge you based on their own experiences. And, and also there's a certain confidence that comes with someone being more senior who's gone and done that before. And when we evaluated our mentoring program, one of the biggest drivers of impact on someone's career was this co- idea of confidence. And at the end of it, their confidence was mm-hmm. very different. Confidence to to succeed in your own journey, but also confidence to push back on some of these systemic mm-hmm. barriers that you might not have. And that's for the mentors as well. So we have a number of male mentors who take part in our mentoring program and a lot of them hold leadership positions. And as they go through, it's that idea of what Maggie mentioned of reverse mentoring. It isn't a direct aim of the program, but if you don't really get an opportunity to sit down and listen to someone who's different mm-hmm. to you, about what they're facing, Mm. quite often there's this aha moment of like, oh, wow, I didn't experience that. It's very very different and maybe how I behave um, in the system but also as an an individual could could change to accommodate. So I think um, you don't want to put too much pressure on something being a panacea, like a mentoring Mm. relationship. Um, but I definitely, based on my personal experiences and, and getting some evidence behind them, show that they can play a role both in the one-on-one but also that ripple effect um, within the wider sector. So hopefully it's just not me who's seen that, that maybe the other panellists have seen that too. I can speak to it, but I want to give Vashnavi. Sorry, Vashnavi, I'm still getting used to pronouncing. That's all right. Yeah, I think I really just echo what Marina just mentioned. I think that there's something that science is alienating in itself because it is a hard profession. There are several things that you need to learn on the job. And so having a mentor just makes it that much easier. But additionally, in in my case as well, as a woman in science um, in India, which has about 11%, um, I I co-founded an initiative called Bias Watch India, where we actually went ahead and counted the number of women in science in India. And you see it's 11% uh, of all scientists in India. And this is an extremely small number, right? And so especially being a woman in science in India, it was a very alienating experience. And it happened organically. It didn't start off as a woman in science mentorship, uh, mentor-mentee relationship. But I started off asking her questions about how things work, how you were supposed to place an order, make sure that the invoice gets paid and stuff like that, which related to my, of course, professional side of things. But then it evolved to issues I faced as a woman uh, in science in India. And I think that really gave me the confidence to keep going when things were really 
piled on against me so to say so i think it it is an issue of um requiring mentorship in some instance because you want to be able to stay in the system i totally agree and i think it's really important that um you know as a student and as a, a a person coming in from overseas it's very hard to know how a system works so i moved to the us and the system was different and so it was about understanding how did it work and how do i um successfully navigate how it works to adapt what i do to be successful within the system whilst also working to change it because you have to be in it to change it effectively however um i think in australia it's really important particularly because most of our jobs are appointed based on networks based on who you know who trusts you who respects you and the best way to get these relationships is through networking and connecting with mentors and sponsors and advocates and champions and supervisors and it's those interpersonal relationships that are so critical in Australia's culture. People don't understand just how deeply embedded this is across our culture. I don't think I understood it when I returned from the US after a decade away because when I left I was I was quite inexperienced but I came back much more experienced and I'm like wow this is a really significant part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Not only can we be um you know in the US everything's very upbeat can do we're going to make it happen and collaborate and talk about it every single day on the whiteboard that doesn't happen here the same way and so it's very much over the the glass of wine the bite of snack with cheese that these conversations will be had and it's across the table over a coffee that these conversations will be had and i i will share one instance where you know i faced a significant hurdle earlier in my career um it happened to be in the us and it was a, around the termination of my role when i told my supervisor i was pregnant and it was literally in the same conversation that my contract was terminated at the end of the conversation it was within a 10 minute space it was a friday afternoon i received a call the saturday morning from him apologizing so it, he fully understood that it was inappropriate to do so and in fact it was illegal for him to do so but it wasn't till i was having lunch in a cafe with my husband the following week that someone sat down at the table and handed me a piece of paper and said this is how you need to handle this because they'd done it and they'd gone through it themselves so sometimes when you have a mentor who's there that support person who's there to give you that advice when you've navigated they've already done it and they can give you that advice that's the most valuable gift you can receive because then they can say to you I've done this before this is a challenge I had I encourage you to do this I encourage you to do that had that person not sat down at that table you know my husband and I continued to look at each other quite baffled with the whole situation who knows what would have happened mm-hmm. right but I had a supportive partner I had someone who offered some mentorship and I went and saw a pro bono lawyer and I walked away with a 12 point negotiated plan to protect my authorships to protect my future and to get 
five months paid maternity leave, which is unheard of in the US. And so without these kinds of, you know, support and offering and opportunities, what other what other hurdles are, are being navigated poorly within our sector? And we could be keeping so many more people because of the opportunities to continue and to succeed. And we can help people um, if, they, if they have doubts about a particular direction to help point them in a new direction. You know, that's what IMNIS is all about. It's not about removing people from one part of the sector and plonking them over here. It's about saying, if you're not quite sure about this, here's another way to look at it. Here's another set of jobs you can consider. Decide for yourself. Make an informed choice. And that's the power of mentorship right there. I'm just wondering, um, the participants might not have, you know, an immediate obstacle or, or barrier in front of them. Would you say it's never too early to go and find a mentor? And a mentor, if, if a mentor has the experience you don't have, they probably know what you're going to need or what you're going to face very soon. Um, do you want to make a comment to that? Or is there a time? Is it too early to go? Do you, you have to wait for an obstacle to be in front it's of you? never to, too to early. It's <laughs> never too early. I encourage my daughter. She's in first year university. It's the University of Melbourne. And I've encouraged her already. I encouraged her during high school. I wish I could get into high schools and teach all those high school students how to network. You know, I mean, it's never too early. Menina, a question for you. Actually, I want to pick up on that. Do you have to be good at networking to find a mentor? Oh, well, believe it or not, and people would never think this about me considering I started a networking group, but I actually <laughs> do not like networking. I, I, and maybe it's a confidence Who thing. Who does? Yeah. <laughs> Who does? It's always it's, it's, right like it's which is sort of one of the reasons for women was how am I going to get people into a room to network you know it is uncomfortable what why would anyone put themselves through the pain Mm. um and so it's trying to bring something else to it that makes it worth your while and then I guess that networking happens organically so I'm that person that at conferences like in the meal time goes to the toilet like 12 times I'm more likely to meet someone washing my hands when I'm coming out of the toilet than in that networking session, Um, which is a terrible thing to say because I have seen firsthand the value of building networks. You need to find a platform that works for you. Mm -hmm. We don't work work to our strengths and and what isn't your strength might become your strength in the future. And I I realise that I used to go to conferences and beat myself up for not making that connection, you know, like I should have made the most of that opportunity and it would actually make me feel worse about myself and my potential to have a career in the sector because I didn't meet that professor or my next postdoc or or that mentor. Um, The difference is now I, I don't want to make it sound too contrived, but I do spend a little bit of effort to think before I go to a conference about is there someone that maybe I want to meet mm-hmm. um, and build a little bit of com- confidence that, yes, I will be that person at waiting at the stage with all the big wigs to say hello. And I might have done a little bit of reading about them just so I have a, a, an entry point. I also get on Twitter because I'm, um, I, I find that I can connect with people on Twitter first and then when I see them in person I can say, oh, we were tweeting about your conference paper, I'm at Melina G, and then there's an entry almost with this, you know, intimidating professor straight away that makes them a person. Um, But I found that what I needed is like that hobby thing. I needed something else to connect with a person, Mm -hmm. 
And then once I've built that rapport, that then quite often the technical stuff, the professional stuff, the um the 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 career stuff then comes next and then we've already built that rapport that I feel confident um to talk about myself and my science. Navi, maybe you know you've gone from mentee to becoming a mentor. What how how does it feel like to be a mentor? I'm still going to be a mentee for a bit. I think I, I still hope to be a mentee for a while because I think I am not done with learning how to navigate obstacles still. But uh, being a mentor in academia, of course, uh, like Melina mentioned, um, is a double-edged sword, right? So you have to definitely understand that uh, you are responsible for the research career of the people that you are advising, I'd say, uh, in, in a capacity. But if you also have to take on the additional role of a mentor for a person you're advising in a capacity of a species supervisor, I think you have to take it um, seriously in the sense, I think there are boundaries at which you have to set for yourself when you think about um, being a research supervisor for your the student that you're advising. But then at times when you are not uh, advising them, I think it's important that you have a boundary that tells you, no, they're not coming to you as a looking for research advice. Mm-hmm. If they are looking for advice in context of uh, anything that's not research related, you have to wear a different hat and take a decision accordingly. And this is something that I think um, I needed to learn because initially I w- was always a friend to my students um, and I always thought, okay, let me just do whatever is best for you. And I do think that helps in most instances, but when it comes to the research part of it, I think it's important that you have a professional relationship when it comes to the research and you take on a mentor's role when they do ask you for it. But I do agree that in addition to having a a mentor who is just your uh, PhD advisor, it'd be great for you to seek out mentors who are independent of your research career. Mm -hmm. Because I think... They give you a kind of perspective that you wouldn't necessarily get from your research advisor because, of course, they're going to worry about your research. They're going to worry about how their lab does as a whole and all of this, right? So in addition to having uh, your PhD advisor as your mentor, as most of us are want to do, I think it'd be great for you to seek out a mentor who is not going to be talking to you just about your research. And that is going to be a challenge for most people because, of course, where do you go looking for mentors? This is where I think going to networking events uh, like it ha- has been suggested by Melina and Margaret, as well as making sure that uh, perhaps even speaking to senior um, PhD students outside of your lab, uh, postdocs outside of your lab, all of this, I think, could really help. And I, I think you touch on a really important point as well, because it's about driving your own development and investing in yourself. And so a lot of people um, early in their career in particular, but I would say even further on, um, mid-career folks will sort of say, oh, I I can't, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I I don't have time to go and do this. And it's like actually you do because you're investing in yourself and you take ownership of it and you have agency around your future and, and what you're going to do with it. And so that's part of the IMNIS message. We spend a two-hour workshop with folks, really preparing them, mentees in particular, but really preparing them for the journey ahead, but also helping them understand the opportunity before them and how they can make the most of it and and really um, allowing them to own their own journey 
And that requires self-reflection. That requires understanding what's important to you, what your key drivers are. It's about finding your leadership voice. It's about understanding what your motivators are and where you think you want to go in the future. It's also understanding that you will have to take some risks and that you will have to put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone. And we're here to support you in that. And so I think, you know, People also need to have some ownership over their future and it's very easy um, when we we can fall into almost like a victim-blaming mindset, it's someone else's fault that this isn't happening for me. That's not always true. I'm confident the system is part of it. It is a very difficult system with a lot of challenges to fix and, and a lot of good people trying to do that. But it's also about us and it's also about, um, you know, putting ourselves forward and investing that time in ourselves in our own development. I mean, a question for you, is it, can we, can we try and find a mentor does it, or does it have to work, you know, after the first meeting or so? Or how long does it take to establish that relationship? Well, uh, I think it's, it's, I think the one of the biggest take-homes probably for me from today after hearing the chat and that I would love Um, those who joined is that there probably isn't just one a one stop shop of what a mentor is going to be to you and what they're going to look like and what the terms of that relationship will be. It depends, and so quite often, like we heard from Bashanavi, is that you can meet someone, you start having a coffee, you build rapport, and then you have the confidence um, and that trust, you know, that psychological safety that this is someone that mm. I'm going. I can talk about these sorts of things with and and then maybe that's at that point where you might say it's just organic and it keeps going or maybe you want to have that conversation about making it something formal. That's where the value of some of these more structured mentoring programs, which are probably um, more valuable when you do have, you're at a, a point in your career where you feel like that you do, it might not be an issue, but you're at a point where you actually feel like you need some support or some help to, to get you to that next stage because, you know, you have it from day one, Rob, you know, like you were involved in this program, you were matched um, or, or given someone um, who feels that they can support you and that they've, they've signed up to be invested in mentoring someone from that very first um moment that you chat so I think it is very very different um and I think when I was hearing about you know just sh sharing some personal stories it's just about it's it's I don't want anyone to leave this just sort of feeling more confused about um and making it more difficult than it needs mm -hmm. to be um but the effort of coming to something like this um I think it does reap rewards in your career of really finding someone that you feel that you can say is a mentor mm -hmm. um, and you need to feel like that that's what that person is is doing um, for you and it it's not easy often to find a mentor and it takes a little bit of soul searching and a little bit of courage like I remember the first time I wrote an email to someone to ask them to mentor me I wanted someone where we where I could say you are my mentor not I had the coffee chats. I had um, informal relationships. I wanted it formal. And I probably, it took me like a week to write that email. I wrote it. I reread it. I read it again. I, I read it again. And, and then I was like, oh, what if they say no? And um, and then I ended up just sending it. And, and, you know, people most often than not do say yes. And if you don't hear back from someone, it's usually because, yeah, they might be busy and miss the email and, and just follow it up. Like, 
everyone that I've asked to be a mentor except for one because they had a um, family issue and we had that conversation that they were tied up with a family health issues have always come back to me and said yes no matter how nerve-wracking that it is um and so it's a very scary thing to do but every mentoring relationship that I've said you're my mentor to has I can confidently say with hand on heart has I can tell that moment where something happened from that relationship which changed the path of my career so I wouldn't be where I am today without the mentors that I've had so um it's it's definitely worth it I think we're getting to the end here, but I really like a lot of the messages that, you know, you've sent today. I wish I had been exposed to this conversation and to this particular three speakers when I was, you know, <laughs> early in my career, I think I could have. Uh... Never too late, Ron. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, it is getting late for me though, but <laughs> it's okay. No, but I like the fact what you're saying about, you know, uh, it's not, it's not easy but you you can get the support that you need and you need to realize this and you need to go and ask for it. If you haven't got a mentor, there is no um, cookie cutter approach. Um, find the support that you need that suits you. I re- really like that. Um, again, this, this was the reason I wanted to have this event was to um, give a chance to other people to hear what you've got to say. I'm really grateful that, you know, you've taken the time and that you've spoken to us about what obviously you're very passionate about. Uh, I want to thank Margaret again very much uh, for the time and for sharing your experiences with us. Melina, thank you very much again. Um, and it's amazing what you're doing with Franklin Women. Vashnavi, um, I don't know if I should say good luck uh, in Sydney. It sounds like you, you have a few more challenges maybe you didn't anticipate. Um I'm sure Margaret and Melina will be there if you need a, a mentor um, closely to, to hear. I'm going to sign up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much again for coming up, for speaking to us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What. To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for What. <laughs>